I'm gonna say it. Uh, we're live. We're live. Yes, we're live. We got wow. bells, and we got a, we got a real life superstar. I, I'm assuming we're talking about Matt Halpern. Uh, oh, I thought I was being uh, kind to myself in that moment. Uh, That's but- what I meant, because no one pulls off a salmon shirt quite like you. Pocket tea, I'll add. So this is now twice within about 45 seconds. This man is a charmer, uh, both on and off uh, the uh, the mic, as it will. Uh, um, I give you one of those. Mike, welcome. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. It's just good to, one, I get to meet a new person in you, Jordan, and two, I get to catch up with an old friend. Matt and I go way back, and we have we've slept on a floor together. So I think that's what bonds two musicians is once you've slept on a floor together, you're in. Yep, we have. We've, uh, we've, uh, dare, dare I say we've cuddled. We've cuddled each other. <laughs> Damn near spoon. We've slept in cars together. We've, uh, we've traveled a lot together actually, and been in weird parts of the world together. Um, where, well, weird, but really awesome parts of the world together. Um, Agreed. yeah. Uh, so it's funny. I don't know. I still get the random person that's like, well, what do you think of Mike Johnston? It's like, dude, did, like, did you just start following me? Like, you don't know that we've, not, we like, that we're like brothers. Yeah, exactly. Like we've yeah. done a, done a lot together, um, which is, it's just always funny. And I think obviously it's calmed down quite a bit for many years now since like, I don't do the band happy thing anymore. And like, right. we weren't pitted against each other. Um, but I think that's actually a, a, like just a very good brief place to start um, is to sort of just tell people about how you and I came to become friends and where we met and like the setup of it uh, initially, which I always love hearing you talk about. But Jordan, I don't even know if you know this, but um, we met, we knew we were going to meet each other at Minor right. Festival. Um, was it 2012? 2012. 2012, yep. right. So Minor Festival, Minor Festival 2012. And that was when I was like knee deep in band happy and Mike has mikeslessons.com and everybody's like telling us that, oh, well, you know, you guys are going to be enemies because you both have education platforms and yada, yada, yada. And then, Mike, I'm going to I'll let you take it from here. I Yeah, I mean, I it's weird. I get along with pretty much everybody, but I also have my guard up when it comes to somebody that's doing what I'm trying to do, because our our business landscape is so tiny. I mean, there's this niche in 2012 of anyone doing something educational online. That was a small niche. Then you put that into the music industry. It's even smaller. Then you put it into the drum industry and there was three or four people doing it. And the thing is, most of the people doing it, I mean, by 2012, I've been doing it for six years. So I kind of knew that, okay, this is my business. This is what I do. Well, along comes this rock star drummer guy and he's doing it really well, but in a way that the th- I, I don't know how to say this without dogging someone else out, but <laughs> most of the people that steal from me don't go, go me for it. At all. Go for it. I know. Okay. Yeah, we know who you're. Most it's of the fine. people that steal from me don't threaten me at all because it's like, dude, you're borrowing ideas. The the threatening thing about Matt was, oh crap, there's nothing about what he's doing that is related to what I'm doing. Yeah, this is scary because now I've got a disruptor in the landscape. I've got someone who. And in my mind, before I met him, the good thing was at least he's a drummer. So he definitely doesn't know anything about business. The dude's got to be a moron because he's a drummer. And I know for a fact that I'm a drummer and I'm a super moron. So I, I was like, OK, but he'll, he'll probably be like a touring jerk. So we meet in the lobby. 
in I think we were in Gutenstetten, uh, and it was very cool, man. Right on. That was it. It was not like a bro hug or anything, and that was it. And then what happened was because we we're in a festival in Germany, there were only three Americans on the show on the bill. It was myself, Matt, and JP Bouvet, and we were the only three people that really spoke English because in Germany, when you're in a group setting, they don't they don't cater to the three Americans. It's all German all the time. So we kind of were forced into becoming like friends and communicators. And then it was crazy. Once I started talking to Matt, I was like, dude, this guy really knows his stuff. This is not what I was expecting at all. And he's dropping, you know how like, <laughs> okay, we're drummers. So we, we're not the like most intelligent cats in, on the planet. And everything that I know about business is not from business school. It's from trial, trial and error. Matt's dropping P&Ls and ROIs and he's dropping his acronyms. And I'm like, I think this dude actually knows what about business. And it was just incredible. And then I would say by the end of that thing, that was only a couple days long. I think it was only a week later that we all got on the phone and I was like, we should do something together because you, what you're doing doesn't threaten my business at all. And what I'm doing will never steal anyone from your business. Our two businesses can absolutely coexist. And I just really enjoyed hanging out with you. You know, I mean, Matt was in the middle of something I had left a decade before. And so just being around him was this reminder of what that life was like and what band life was like. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It was just a really, it was a quick brotherhood. And I remember, uh, just to kind of wrap this part up, but I remember, Matt, we were at JP's place in New York. And I think he was living with his producer friend, Chris, at the time. And you and I were literally sleeping on the floor in the spare bedroom. And we just stayed up talking business all night. And that was when I was like, okay, whatever I had thought of this guy, it was like that lesson in prejudice where you're like, I don't think I'm ever going to prejudge anyone ever again because Matt is nothing like what I thought. This guy actually knows exactly what he's talking about. And then it was just, then I felt like, like in fear, like, dude, I, I'm just pressing record and doing my best. I don't know. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. No, well, I mean, that's, I, I disagree with that that part of it, obviously. And I and what is cool is that we both very much so did have a totally different view of what what we were doing and a different mission. And that it never it never crossed in a bad way. And I remember that conversation too. And in, in going to you and, and like I would think I was asking your advice on certain aspects of business and and talking about where to go from here and what the next steps are and what I'm planning. And it was just a very very um, helpful conversation. And, you know, you and I have had many of those where I feel like I'm the beneficiary of those conversations. I remember, um, on that same, on that first clinic tour we did, um, was the first one, the West coast or the East coast? I can't East coast. Okay. So I remember on that first one, um, you know, you gave me some advice that completely changed the way that I viewed my career as a clinician and how to present clinics. You know, you, you said to me, you know, you're a great teacher, but you're teaching a clinic like you would teach a private lesson. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, and that's, that's cool and you're good at it, but this is not a private lesson and you need to really try to re, reshape how you would present to an audience with uh, a topic that would be universal for everybody in the room, no matter whether they're beginner, intermediate, advanced, old, young, have interest in different styles of music. You have to cater you have to figure out how to cater to to everybody and deliver value. And I mean, I think even just from that first clinic to the end of that tour, 
I, I mean, I was driven right away to get better at it, but I felt like I was getting the grasp of it. And it's just helped yeah. me so much from there. And I, That's dude, awesome. I, I even think about like, how shitty of a job I did at the first Minel Festival. Like when I, and nobody can argue with me on this, when I look back at, at the performance and, and how I presented myself, I took too much of other people's advice on like what to do instead of doing what I felt like I should do. And plus I didn't really have the experience. Um, so when I went back and did the second Minel Festival, I really like for myself made it right. You know, I did it the right way, yeah. the way I wanted to do it. And then any festivals or educational events since that point have really been on my terms. And, you know, to, to say that you're an inspiration in that way to me um, and, an, and a, a mentor in that way um, definitely is a valid statement. And it's because we've been able to share so much together. Every time you, me and JP would go out, there's so much learning back and forth. I'll bite, you know, it's you and me basically learning from the fucking master Jedi. Um, uh, yeah. You know, Freaking but the 12 year old Yoda that just, I remember you and I were going through some of the most serious emotional stuff ever. And if from the back seat, JP goes, you know, sometimes a door closes, but a window opens. And we were like, what the fuck? Like, what? What did the kid just say? Yeah. And it was just like, Huh? Or maybe it was like when a window closes, another door opens. It was just like some Nietzsche thing that I was like, okay, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I remember, you know, when we were doing that thing, I don't really have, um, I don't know, it, it just never crosses my mind to judge a drummer that I'm working with on a clinic tour or on a drum festival to judge their drumming. But what does come naturally to me is I can't help but judge the presentation because it's what I'm obsessive about. So I'm never thinking like, oh, it was a little sloppy or the timing was off of the drumming. I'm, I'm thinking like, ah, you should have stood up, man. Like you sat at the drum set behind your safety blanket. You should have stood up and got to the front of the crowd and, and, and hung with us, whatever. So I'm always judging that. And I remember by the end of that tour, I was like, wow, Matt has gone from whatever the show, the first show was to being a professional presenter. And it was really cool to watch you take those steps and to also, I could watch you night from night figure out what to keep it you're it was like i mean when you're doing what we do it's a it's there's no difference between that and being a stand-up comedian you have to have your stick and have your bits and then you know which ones on the next night to like throw away and to keep like okay that bit's working really good i'm gonna refine it and that bit just that's the second night in the row that i thought that would really kill and no one really cared so i'm gonna throw that away even though it's important to me and i just watched you shape your presentation and that was you know, really cool. And it was funny, like, I felt like you and JP were working on your presentations as I was simultaneously trying to learn how to be the drummer I am in a room by myself in front of people. And we would always talk in the car, how close were you tonight before or to being the drummer you really are? And it was like, ah, I felt like 60% tonight compared to if I would have been in just my studio by myself playing drums. And when can we get to that 100% where it's yeah. like, you you crowd tonight. You guys just witnessed who I truly am as a player. Yeah. Not my nerves, not me having my two bros on the side of me and trying to impress them, but that's who I am as a player. And that was like the constant, every tour we went on, that's what I was trying to get closer and closer to was that thing, you know? Yes. And what was, what I always think is funny and it's the same in, in my band and I'm sure with, with a lot of different performers, it's like 
there were nights where I thought I did terrible. I remember on that tour, I was like, oh my God, I botched it. And you and JP were like, what are you talking about? That was actually the sickest yep. thing you've totally. played this whole time. And it, and we, we each had nights like that where every one of us felt like we had a shitty, you know, shitty experience. We didn't do well. And the two others were like, you're totally out of your mind. That was the best you've done. And then vice versa. It was so obvious when each of us were killing or had an off night. And I remember we would talk about why, like, why do you feel that way? Why do you think you had an off night? What can you do better next time? And, you know, um, it, it was just such a, it was such a valuable experience on that first one. And obviously the, the culture carried on, um, and, and the chemistry carried on between the three of us to the next one and to the camps yeah, that we've done. And it's, it's still there. I mean, like even when I play by myself, I'm thinking like, what would JP and Matt think of what just happened? I wish they were here tonight. Cause I'm so proud of what just happened. You know, uh, Jordan, like one of the things that we kind of became a phrase on this tour was like, like how soon did you pull the ripcord? So the ripcord for me is that I stop playing, I don't do a drum solo, I stop playing, and it's all teaching, constant teaching. That's me pulling the ripcord out of fear and going to my safety blanket. Matt can be in the middle of a funk solo, just playing some dirty, nasty funk, and then something happens, and he pulls the ripcord and goes into a periphery riff. And it's like, oh, man, you got you freaked out, man. You didn't yeah. need to do that. You were there. JP's never messed up yet <laughs> in his life. Yeah. Um, so yeah. he never pulled the ripcord, but for Matt and I, that was like our thing. Like how long did you get into the clinic before you kind of freaked out and went to the safe zone or were you able to make it through the whole night just at the high wire act at the top of your game doing what you really want to do? Because I can only assume Matt. I mean, you've been in periphery for a very long time and you know, the songs backwards and forwards, it's your life. But at the same time, a clinic is a chance to be like, by the way, guys, I also play the drum set right. without this band. Right. And so it's like, okay, well then, you know, Matt and I would talk about it. Like, go give them 45 minutes of you. Mm -hmm. Like, they already know you're in periphery. And for me, it's like, you guys know I teach for a living. Can I just play drums for you for a little bit? And so anyways, I think that that became a metaphor for life. Like, how long can I really push myself before I freak out and go back to my comfort zone, you know? Well, I think there's yeah. always this, sorry, Matt, I think no, there's you're always... Good this balance uh, that we're trying to strike, because look, ultimately, uh, if people are gonna uh, spend their time and their money to experience you, uh, we are in service of the audience. Now, perhaps us serving the audience may show up as us wanting to be most fully alive in that moment, doing what we want to do and maybe not what we think is expected of the other. Um, I'm curious, when you guys uh, kind of started talking about this idea of a clinic tour, uh, clearly, you have three different backgrounds, you have three different audiences, you have three different skill sets. I'm wondering if you guys decided beforehand, okay, uh, Mike's going to come at it from uh, this perspective, and Matt's going to come, uh, come at it from this, and JP, and so on. Um, and look, there are these expectations where maybe people are thinking Mike is going to give us more of the education, maybe more of the polish, uh, where Matt may just like sit there and just beat the shit out of his drum set, but really technically. Um, so I'm curious, uh, what was that balance for, for you? Did it change night to night? Would you talk about that in between each gig? Um, because you want to please the people that are coming. You also want to kind of stay in your lane. So, uh, the, the, the audience gets a, a fully comprehensive program with each of you presenting, uh, something specific. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm curious, how did that play out? And also, 
what was that? Uh, what were you doing before the ripcord? Mm. What was what was that uh, that 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 energy or that space or that expression that you most wanted to go toward in that moment? Yeah, I mean, I think that on a night to night basis, when the clinic tour first started, the only thing we I think we would do is we weren't trying to connect it all, but we would try to say like just so you know, I'll be teaching this. Does it get in the way of what you're teaching? Um, and if so, do you want to go first or second and I can build on it or I can expand on it? A lot of times, and then by the way, one of the things that I thought was really cool about this tour was we always had the audience pick our names out of a hat so yeah. we could prove to the audience there is no headliner, there's no opener. We are three even equal drummers that just want to be here for you tonight. And I promise you, there's there's no need to wait for the closer Everyone, whoever the opener is, they could be the closer as well. Smart. So it was kind of a cool thing. Every once in a while, you draw like third or whatever and be like, oh, cool. I get to hear these two masters do their thing. And then I can constantly refer the back worst. to it in my clinic. It was the worst. <laughs> it was the worst. To have to go after both of you guys, it's the worst. It's like, oh, my God. JP just killed. Oh, my God. Mike absolutely just like made everybody in the audience fall in love with him. Oh, Great. My turn. <laughs> I, I, dude, I'm telling you, like it, it, it's such a weird thing though because everyone, whoever went third, elevated to that closing status, and it just worked every time. There was never because I, I remember thinking like, JP picked first. Well, I mean, he really, truly, and I, I believe this to this day, he's one of the greatest drum soloists of all time. I, I absolutely believe that. If somebody said, what about Buddy Rich? What about Dave Weckl? I'd say, no, no, I'll put JP's hat in the ring any day of the week. I think he's one of the best storytellers that has ever lived on the instrument that we play. So Agreed. if he would pick first, I would think like, well, how the hell? It's only going to go downhill because we can't play drum solos like JP. We don't do that. It didn't happen like that at all. JP was his own thing. It was beautiful. People clapped and then they cleansed their palate and reset. And then, you know, Matt would come in and do his thing. And it was like, well, that sounds nothing like JP. They'd cleanse their palate and they'd reset, you know, and then I'd get a chance to do what I'm doing. And it's like, then I would think, OK, do I really want to hear Matt Halpern followed by Matt Gartska, followed by another uh, followed by Rudy? Like, yeah. no, like it's too much of the same thing. So it always worked out no matter who opened, who closed. As far as what happened is going on before pulling the ripcord or pulling the fear cord. I mean, that still happens to me in public speaking. I just did a thing for Adobe in Amsterdam where I had to speak on Adobe's stage. And it was one of those things where, well, what is my ripcord now? It's probably cheap laughs. How do I stay in the tech? How do I stay in the Adobe landscape before I just go to like, well, let me just make you laugh because I really don't. I'm kind of freaking out here. So I think that it, it's always going to be there no matter what you're doing. But when we were touring together, I think really what it was, was improvisation for me. If I was improvising in the moment, it was beautiful. But I, as the producer of the moment would look down and think it's nowhere near as good as what JP did. And it's not as good as what Matt's about to do. So let me pull the ripcord and play all of my memorized patterns that I've been playing since I was 15 years old. Cause they always work and I'll get a B minus. I won't get an A. But I'll get a very passable grade to hand to my parents and be like, cool, I didn't fail. And it was like, I think I'd rather go for A's or F's. I'm done mm -hmm. with B minuses. I want to either crush it and dominate or I want to just go down in flames. And it, it took yeah. a long time to, to get to that point. Yeah. 
Well, and it, you know, it's funny. It's something that <clears throat> I'm actively working on still is like that flow, right? Getting in that flow yeah. state, being able to improvise in a way to where uh, everything is almost like slowed down to where the ideas you have, you can grasp them and execute them. And there's no judgment around. And uh, I, there's something I want to mention in a, in, in a second that you have so much experience with that I, I want to touch on. But um, I remember also that one of the things that we did every night prior to the clinics, we would, we would talk about what we were going to do. But Jordan, it was none of us, we, we all pushed each other to do something new every night yeah. on top of it. It wasn't like I had my routine, Mike had his, JP had his, and we would do the same program every night. It was literally like, okay, you did ghost notes last night. What are you going to do tonight? How are you going to do something new? And that actually forced us to be really, um, to be on our toes. I think it put us in that improvisational state a lot, um, a lot more uh, stable because we had to be. And it was, it was just new information. And I mean, that was some of the best um, preparation and some of, the, some of the best challenges I've faced when it comes to doing a clinic and being like, oh, well, all right, you know what? Because let me, let me go back. I've done clinic tours now where I'm doing five, or, or I think with Federico Pavlovich when I did it, we did like seven or eight clinics. And by like clinic five, I was bored as shit with the, with the presentation. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm changing it up tonight. And then every night beyond that, I changed it up. And that came from the experience that we got to have together in, in pushing ourselves to do that. Um, totally. Jordan, you mentioned this idea of like being fully alive in front of the audience. That was the goal every night. And it's very hard to put, um, put words to that because it was different for each of us. I think, you know, for JP, I think... <clears throat> Again, he doesn't really have a problem tapping into that. He just would go up there and literally take a deep breath, and whatever he was feeling in the moment, that's what would come out. And there were nights where he would do things that, like, me and Mike I would be looking at each other like, it's just insane. I remember in, in New Jersey, in Ashbury Park, he played one of the best solos I've ever seen anybody see in my life. And then that there was a double bass flutter. Yeah, it was incredible. And then there was another night where I forget where we were, but he did a whole solo while counting in seven, eight out loud, uh, on top of it. And just like, it's like, how do you count? How do you do, <laughs> how do you do all these? You know, things? the thing with JP though is, um, and this isn't supposed to be the JP is the greatest ever podcast, but we, I re I rarely get a chance to talk about him. Um, the thing with JP is it's not like he's physically doing something otherworldly, like a Thomas Lang, Marco Miniman thing. It's that, he's the true definition of an definition of an artist. Like artist. what Matt said, when he's doing anything, if it's acrostic in half notes, it's because that's what he's truly feeling at the moment. And he does not feel the pressure that those half note cross sticks are boring. He doesn't know that the audience is there. It's just a really cool thing to watch. And the one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that in this clinic tour, the three of us never left the stage. So for Matt's full portion of the clinic jp and i are right next to him i love and then that it's jp's turn and we're right next to him and so obviously whoever's playing we're exchanging looks you know and matt and i are like looking behind jp's kit going like what are we witnessing right now and i also think that we were we're older than jp so i'm seven years older than you matt is that right yeah i think so and then you're seven years older than jp yes and i felt like matt and i were witnessing 
this kid, and he wasn't a kid. I mean, he was like 25 years old. But to us, he was a kid. We're witnessing him become a professional drummer, not just in front of our eyes, but in front of the eyes of the public. And we're kind of like looking at the crowd like, you guys do understand that one day you'll tell your kids about this, right? Like, I get that same feeling when I'm with Mark Juliana. Like, it's like, I know you're just playing drums and you're my bro. But I feel like I might be hanging out with a modern day Tony Williams. Like someday I'll tell my friends like, no, 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 I used to play with that dude all the time. And, you know, I mean, that so that clinic tour was so impactful for everything I've done ever since. I mean, we did multiple clinic tours, then we did some camps and stuff. But that time, it's funny, like that's one of the things that when I look back on, it's it's not from a different life. When I look back on my music career, my touring, that's a whole I don't even know who that guy was, but. Everything I am right now was shaped from the Common Thread Clinic tours that we did because when you're on stage and you're doing these tours, like Matt mentioned, we were changing the clinics every night. It wasn't for the crowd. The crowd was a new crowd. How would they know what I did last night? It's because I'm only performing for Matt and JP. The crowd is more than welcome to witness it, but I so badly want my two brothers to be proud of me tonight. So I'm going to push myself and teach something I've never taught before. I'm going to play some things that are out of my comfort zone because I know they don't care whether I succeed or fail in the playing they're going to be proud that i pushed myself and tried harder than i did the night before yeah and i think we that was the energy that was just constantly feeding around the thing and it was cool too because you know when you tour with a band the band can judge you musically but they don't play your instruments so they can't judge you on a, a technical level where with this we we're out on tour and i could ask them drumming questions like was it too busy tonight mm. was you know how was my balance? Was I too loud for the crowd? And like, I had two drummers to ask those questions from, which was a really cool thing. Yeah, I, I loved the fact that there was never a boring night. Like we it, we right. kept it, we kept each other on our toes. And I remember too, it was it was awesome when we did the West Coast run. Um, Matt Garska actually came out one night and and played yep. and you know did a solo that was just also mind blowingly awesome and made us all realize like. You know where we sit. Okay. Where we yeah. sit in the line. But um, what I want to, I want to kind of jump a little bit. You know, it's funny. Um, one of the things now that you know, I'm, I'm so, I'm so excited about. We were briefly talking about this topic before we started, Mike. But like, I'm in a new house. We, we just built a new house, and I finally have space to have a drum set set up at all times. And I'm working. I literally, my interface just arrived. I'm going to be setting all that up. I'll have mics, I'll have a whole setup, which is great. But in the meantime, I've just been playing. Um, and I've been so excited to get back into the practice of flow. And it's so funny when you take time off, or at least for me, when I take time off, I, like it's all there, but it's just so, it, it's like glitchy almost, like like a computer yeah. that's, that's trying to buffer information like a little Absolutely. bit slower than it should. And every day that I play, it gets better and better. Um, which, which is a great feeling to feel like you're, you're improving. But one of the things that I've been really working on, and this is what I was alluding to with you being a master of this, is the pressure that is put on the minute you hit record. Mm. And it's just like playing in front of an audience. It's just like, you know, when, when you're by yourself and no one's watching, um, you know, per, per your conversation with Russ Miller, it's oh. like, you know, <laughs> you think you're playing at a hundred percent. Obviously we all do the best we can, but like when no one's around, that's, that's when we think the best shit happens. But the minute I hit record, even though no one's in the room, I'm perceiving that people will eventually watch this. And therefore I start posturing and trying to impress. 
And that's what I've been working on getting past. So every single time now that I sit at my drum kit, I hit record on purpose. Yeah, and you it, have to. Right. And it may never see the light of day. Um, and that's fine. And oftentimes, I, you know, I, I literally go through the footage and I'm like, crap, crap, crap. Oh, here's a cool piece. I can, you know, I can do something with this. And it's, it's cool because the people that, that are following me on my socials, they, they, they like that kind of stuff. That's why they follow me. It's not because sure. like I get in fucking ice barrels and <laughs> do shit like that. They like, they want to see me play drums. So it's nice to be able to serve them in that way. But there is a pressure. So and I should say this too, in the master classes that I've taught recently, and even when I've been on tour teaching, so many of the questions revolve around, I'm nervous to perform. Um, you know, and I give them the advice of like, get a, you know, look at it as excitement, think about the fact that this job is so cool and you've, you've prepared. Now's the show, go into the show and just have fun. And if you fuck up, you fuck up. No one cares, no one's gonna know. Like enjoy the fact, really be present that you are on stage and other people are not. Obviously. That can't happen right now. Um, but what's interesting to me is that in the landscape of the world right now, people are now having to get into recording and releasing content of, of their performances at home or in their studios. And I know I'm not the only one who doesn't have as much experience with that, that it's not about the gear. It's not about having the setup. It's that record button causing... Yeah anxiety. So I guess, you know, and, and, uh, you know, not to, I don't want to answer my own question, but I think a lot of it really is just experience, but I am curious to hear your thoughts on that process. If you can even remember back from the beginning when yeah. you started doing it to now, and if that anxiety is still there, you know, oddly enough, the beginning was way easier. Uh, the beginning wow. was so easy because where was it going? It was going to a where do where do these recordings go? They go to a website that no one's ever heard of called YouTube.com, that is essentially Dropbox. It's where you park your footage. No one will ever see it. Well, where is it going now? Uh, the same feed that Benny Greb lives on, that Thomas Lang lives on. Matt Garska will see this. My friend Matt Halpern will see it. He'll judge my drumming. What does JP think of my drumming? What is what if Weckl sees this? That wasn't in my head then. Like so, in the beginning, it was really easy. Now it's a whole different thing. And what I've had to do, and I tell my students this all the time, is Instagram. I mean, we just have to admit that Instagram is where most of it's going to go as fast as it can. I don't think any of us really freak out about our aunts and uncles seeing it on Facebook. YouTube is a totally different beast that we can talk about later. But if we're just talking about quick, easy to digest content, we're probably talking about Instagram. Instagram is a museum that you have to curate. It is your own museum. And if your feed is filled with everyone that threatens you and that makes you feel inferior, you are going to be paranoid out of your mind to upload to that same feed. Because in your feed, now you, you don't, this is what our brains don't comprehend. We see our feed and we think that everyone's feed looks just like ours. But I chose to follow Weckl, Halpern, Gartska, Lang. So it goes my video straight into Dave Weckl, straight into Vinny Caliuta, straight in. And it's like, oh, God, I don't want to see it like that. So you have to curate this museum to be something completely different. I probably follow maybe five to six drummers total that aren't muted. I mean, I follow all my friends, but then I just mute them. It's like, look, one, if we're friends, let's let's talk. Let's get on the phone. I don't want to know about your life through social media. Two, I'm sorry, but I, we're friends, but you're too freaking good at the drums it you make me want to quit so when when i go through my 
Instagram feed, it's great photographers. It's amazing architects. It's people that maybe restore classic cars. It's camera things. It's vintage drum company or vintage restoring companies. So all I see is just constant inspiration of just awesome creativity, but none of it is drumming. I'm the only drummer on my feed. And so I feel really confident putting up content because I didn't just see 26 videos that make me want to quit playing the drums. So that's one thing that helps a lot. But you uh, consuming that content is also going to give you uh, unique perspectives on how to create your own drumming content. So you may see uh, a photographer kind of framing something a certain way or lighting something a certain way that influences you to frame or light your drumming performance. And I don't feel... Jordan, yeah, I mean, that's such a great point. I don't feel guilty about that. Like, yes, I did get inspired this week by, I don't know, a cinematographer or somebody else, but it's like, but I didn't get inspired by my drummer buddy and steal his or her shit. I mean, how hard is it to watch Annika Nillis and not want to rip off everything she does? She's so freaking tangible. I mean, there's something about that German trio of Benny Greb, Annika Nillis, and Jos Nickel where it's like, I just want to do that. So it's like, I just have to, I went through this in my band. My band had to stop listening to the Deftones. We could not stop ripping them off. We live in the same town as them. We hang out with them and we love them. So when we get into band practice, do cap, boom, I mean, we're going to play my own summer. That's just what's going to happen. And we think we wrote it because, you know, and so I just had to do the same thing with my drummer following where it's like, look, I'll always be a fan of these drummers. But now, if I'm going to see, honestly, if I'm going to see Matt play, I actually go to YouTube and type in Matt Halpern. And it's like, I, I actually carve it out of my schedule. Like, okay, my brother, that's a whole different dude. That's us talking about our dogs, talking about his new house, talking about his marriage, my marriage. That's a whole different human being than, you know what? I want to be inspired by the guy that plays in Periphery. And I'm going to go watch a Matt Halpern video on YouTube. And so that's kind of how I split things up. And it's really helped my mental game when it comes to uploading content, pressing record, and just feeling comfortable behind the drums. Because I know that when I see it in the feed, it'll be a guy that's showing off his new Fuji X-T4, then my video, and then a guy that just restored a classic Porsche. And I feel like, oh, cool. My, my video looks great right there. Instead of in between Marco Miniman and Thomas Lang. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, Mike, I want to share how I relate to you. Um, I've been a drummer all my life. I've played in rock bands most of my life. Um, I've been a drum educator for over 10 years. And uh, I became aware of you at least 10 years ago um, just from YouTube. Uh, And then I remember seeing your face on a drum magazine and sitting at a coffee shop and reading that article and interview and thinking like, man, this dude is on the cover of a drum magazine because he's creating content online and educating drummers and that was really interesting and i think novel at the time probably um yeah thanks man i never wanted to be the best drummer i was never interested in uh, especially when i was younger i wasn't interested in like uh john bonham i was interested in led zeppelin you know and i just wanted to be the best drummer in a band and part of that was figuring out okay how do i book shows with my band how do i like properly brand and merchandise the band? Uh, How do I become an entrepreneur uh, within the band? In addition to uh, writing and recording my drum parts, in addition to emotionally connecting with an audience um, in in, in a venue. But I always felt this sense of, um, uh, I just didn't feel good about it. I had this like sense of inadequacy 
Um, I, I helped manage a couple Benny Greb drum, drum camps that Matt hooked me up uh, oh, okay. to do as a gig uh, 2013 and 2015. And even then, I carried that with me. Even though I came in uh, with this sense of, uh, you know, I was, it was Benny and me running the show. So I had this kind of hierarchy perspective relative to the 25 people that came uh, because they gave their money and wanted to be around Benny. Um, I still felt like, huh, I'm not a drummer's drummer, so I'm less than. Mm. And yeah, it man. was really having a conversation with someone who's as lovely as Benny to be like, fuck that, be you. And that really helped give me permission to feel more comfortable in my skin amongst uh, you know, fans and students of his. So uh, I guess what I'm working to, Mike, it, look, you had success um, in a rock band, and, and that's uh, to be commended and respected. Uh, but I think it's, it's safe to say you didn't get on the cover of a drum magazine because you were in a rock band. Sure. Um, you haven't been invited to the Minel Festival because of the work you did in that rock band. Um, I'm curious if you had to contend with any of those same uh, feelings of inadequacy or like, who am I to be in this room um, that I had to, and then eventually come around and learn for myself, like, yo, I'm still here for a reason uh, and I'm different than everyone else. And that's actually my strength and superpower. That, I, th I think that that's the, the thing that we all have to wait for it. So you could tell that we can tell this to all of you guys as listeners, but until it clicks for them, it's like, yeah, 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 but that's because you're Jordan or that's because you're Matt Halpern. And it's like, no, I, I really mean this. One day you'll just realize that you being you is enough. And that's such a, it's such a corny thing to say, but you just have to wait until somehow it's been proven to you enough times where it's like, that was weird. Like, I remember PASIC where I went on in between Chad Smith and Dave Weckl. And this was one of those make or break things at, at PASIC especially the year that I did it, if it went well, it was your gateway into drum festival land. And if it didn't go well, you were literally forgotten about. Um, because especially on the main stage in the big room, it's just a weird thing. So I'm, I'm going on after Chad Smith, right before Weckl. And I played how I played. It, it, you know, I, I've, I've now come to accept that I played exactly how I played on that day. That was what it was. But I got a full standing ovation. And Chad didn't. And Weckl didn't. And they played much better than I did. So what happened? Well, the only thing that happened was I was as me as I could be, and it worked. And it was like, oh, man, I thought I had to be better than those two guys or whoever else was on that venue. And it's like, no. like, And, I mean, that's another Russ Miller thing. He's been like this kind of weird step uncle that just shows up in my life and bitch slaps me whenever I need it. And then he leaves. <laughs> and then I'm left with like six months of thought. And, uh, you know, I remember we were doing a thing in Spain and I was like, dude, aren't you freaked out? Like we're playing with with Dennis Chambers. And he's like, why would I be freaked out about playing with Dennis? I'm like, well, you're Russ Miller. Like you're probably not freaked out about anything. And he's like, no, no, no. Dennis is a god, but he's already on the bill. What am I going to do? Play his stuff? He's already here. So and he told me, he's like, I promise you this. Dennis Chambers has no shot of being more Mike Johnston than you. No shot in the world. So if you chase Dennis, it's already over. If you chase me, it's already over. But if you just go out there and just do whatever the hell it is you do, that's why they're, the people are here, you know? And, and I think just getting to that place where maybe that is the jealousy or the the feeling that Matt and I both had for JP was JP seemed to know who he was in his early 20s, and Matt and I were still trying to figure it out. Like, 
is Matt Periphery? Is Mike teaching on a camera? Like, but JP knows who he is, and we were still trying to discover ourselves. And that, I, I never was jealous of his drumming. I mean, his drumming's world class, but so is twenty other guys and girls. It was how confident he was in what he was doing that it was the right thing to do in that moment. I was like, God, I feel like I'm having a full couch session with a psychiatrist while I'm playing drums, like talking myself in and out of things. Don't do it. No, go for it. No, really shit. Ah, fuck. And like, (laughs) I didn't know what to do, you know? So anyways, I think that getting to that point to answer your question in a long form, I used to hide behind the fact I would always say this, like drumming is my hobby. Teaching is my passion. That is my out for being a bad drummer. Mm -hmm. I don't have to answer to my drumming because I just told you I don't care about it as much as I do teaching. I just eventually, I think being with Matt and JP, I had to walk away from that thing. It's like, no, no, no. I play drums for a living. I also teach them. And yes, I'm extremely passionate about teaching them. But I wouldn't have played drums from five years old to 43 if, why didn't I just switch to teaching history? Why haven't I started teaching something else yet? It's because I love the drums. So you have to take ownership of it. And then you just have to get to that point that you say, I am exactly as good as I am for the amount of hours I've put in. If I want to be better, it's going to require more hours. If I'm totally happy where I am, I can do maintenance work and do 30 minutes a day and stay right here for the rest of my life. Those are the drummers I have the least respect for as far as their playing. It drove me nuts when I was a kid to see people innovate and take our instrument to a whole new level. And as soon as they achieved success, they stayed there for the rest of their career. And I was like, dude, you changed the whole game. And now, 30 years later, you sound identical to the way you sounded in 1978. What the hell happened? Why did you stop practicing? So I think that that's what it comes down to is taking ownership of who you are as a player and as a person. I think that's why we stress on these episodes so much, not only self-awareness, but balancing that with self-acceptance, self-love. Totally. I mean, it's just the whole game is within us. Um, and I'd argue that the, and I've argued many times previously, the, I think the most successful artists are just the ones who know themselves and accept themselves the most. Cause that's the cleanest most honest form of, of expression, whether it's through drumming or writing or, or whatever the means may be. Why do you think that like some of our pop artists are completely ridiculed and then people in their exact same industry are celebrated like musical icons? It's like, well, one is being controlled by an entire industry and one couldn't help but being exactly what they are because that's just who they are. Yeah. So take the record deal, the money and everything away and you would find that same person at the bottom of a subway with their acoustic guitar singing those exact same songs with that same amount of passion. Those people are celebrated. And then when we can sniff it out, like, I don't think you're really like this, then they're made fun of. You know, no one's making fun of pop. They're making fun of, like, the fact that you're a puppet. So I think we unfortunately do that to ourselves. We're the marionette of our own puppetry. And, like, we end up doing that to ourselves. And it's like, man, I I, I can't remember who it was, but I heard somebody say, their best advice that they could ever give the world would be to flip the golden rule. Instead of treating everyone else the way you wish you were treated, treat yourself the way you treat everyone else. Be as kind to yourself as you are to everyone else. Because if I saw somebody failing on the drums, I would never say the shit to them that I say to myself. Instead, I would be like, dude, five more reps. You got this. You can totally do this. But to myself, I'm like, dude, why do you even try? And it's like, who would ever talk to someone else like that? So why do we do it to ourselves? That's what we have to change. I love that. And we talk about, one of the things that we talk about a lot on this podcast is being kind to yourself. That's literally Jordan's tagline when we close things out. It's be kind to yourself and each other, you know? Um, so that's a very awesome. important theme. And I'm glad you touched on that. It's it's just so nice that, like, 
that people can hear that from so many different um, people that are in a place to provide that value for others. So I'm glad that you authentically said that. Um, I want to I want to shift slightly here because I want to I just want to I'm curious. You know, you mentioned something to me, and we don't need to go necessarily down that road exactly, but look. This has been a challenging bunch of months for everybody. We've all sure. gone through it in different ways. I've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about my journey. Jordan and Justin have talked about their journey. Um, I'm curious, you know, for you to, to, from you to hear about kind of some of the challenges that you've faced during this time and how you feel about them now. And, and if there are any action items or, or routines that can be extrapolated from that that can be passed on. Um, naturally, yeah. you know, absolutely. Yeah. So it's crazy. So I had a clinic tour. I'd come back from Nam, and at Nam, I finally met Jason McGurr and I've known Jason from death cab for, I've known of him forever. We've casually chatted on social media, but we finally met hung out and I was like, dude, why don't I remember Matt? I don't know if you've seen it or Jordan, if you've seen it, but he did a, uh, a modern drummer festival back in the day. And he came out with just a snare drum and played. And then his tech kept bringing out more pieces of his kit. And I thought it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And I was like, damn, that's an artist. And I never heard about him doing another clinic again. So I asked him, he's like, yeah, I I didn't enjoy that. I was like, what? That was like one of the best performances ever. And he's like, yeah, I had, I can't remember who was on the festival with him, but it was a bunch of Uber drummers. And he's like, dude, that's just not how I want to play drums. I don't feel like that when I play in Death Cab. And I hope I'm not talking out of turn for him i think he'd be fine with this being somewhat public but he was like when i play in death cab i just feel free and i play music and that's how i want to play when i'm on this instrument and i was like well why don't we do a clinic tour together i promise i'm the least competitive person I mean, at no point will we shed ever <laughs> that'll never we're not going to trade fours so um so we talked about it and we built it up and we were so excited and we got it all booked and it was all of our favorite stores up and down the west coast with owners that we really cared about and then COVID started happening a little bit. And Jason and I got on the phone. He was like, we're still doing this, right? I'm like, dude, 100%. This is like the sniffles. We're, we're totally doing this. 24 hours later, we canceled the whole tour. That's how quick Rudy Gobert came out as having COVID uh, for the Utah Jazz. And it was over. Like the NBA shut down. The NCAA shut down. And I was like, oh, my God. And so that was the beginning of taking this thing serious for me where I was like, whoa, I think this is real. So as that was going on, I was also getting very frustrated with the drum education industry. I felt like I would put something out and within a day I would see it on another person's channel or on another website. And I was like, damn, man, like I feel that content itself, let's say a rudiment, the flamadiddle, that is we all have free access to it. It's free reign. It's just public knowledge. But the delivery of the flamadiddle, that's my IP. Do not fuck with that. I worked my ass off to deliver that content in the most original way possible. I spent hours and hours and hours trying to think, how can I make this four-note pattern more tangible to somebody that's never played it before? And then when you steal that, I think what happened is, in business, when you steal things, I could probably handle that. But in the drumming world, it's so personal to me that I can't handle it. It actually messes me up really bad. It's like, dude, this instrument is what saved me when, you know, when I didn't go to prom. This instrument is what happened, what I went to when the first time I got my ass kicked in a real fight. I went and played drums for eight hours. So when somebody steals stuff from me 
on this instrument, it's like, ah, oh, man, drummers are better than this. Don't don't do this. Where if I was in the auto parts industry and people were stealing ad ideas, I wouldn't care. It's like, ah, it's business, no big deal. But the drums aren't business; they're my life, and they're they're like, you know, they're like a family member. So, anyways, uh, I just got to a point where I was like, I think I'm leaving, and so I hired a contractor to come in here, and I mean, leaving the entire drum industry. So I hired a contractor to come in here, and we were knocking out all the walls, and this whole place was not going to have any drums in it. It was going to become LearnVideoWithMike.com, and that was it. I bought the URL, the the business, all the legal stuff was done, and I was going to teach how to make better videos to the average person, because I think there's plenty of film schools out there, but most people like own a DSLR and just don't know how to use it, or a mirrorless camera, or maybe even a cinema camera. And I just want, especially artists, it's like, God, you spent your entire life trying to get better at the guitar. Why would you know how to make a great video? But the problem is I can only judge you based off your video's quality because I don't play guitar. So if you're a great guitarist, but you have a crappy video and I'm a drummer, I don't really know. It's like, I don't know. The, the guy with the better video is the better guitarist. So I wanted to make a business around that. And so that was what was going down. And the day that construction was supposed to start, my contractor called me. He's like, this COVID thing's really real. I, I, my crew can't come in. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm literally leaving in an industry I've been in my whole life. You need to come in now. I will change my mind if you don't come right now. Knock these walls down. I'm, I'm out of here. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'll call you in a couple weeks. At that time, he said a couple weeks, which ended up being a couple months. So uh, within 24 hours, I had to reshift my entire focus to online drum lessons, which I had prepared mentally and emotionally to leave. And by the way, I don't think anyone knows this besides my wife and maybe one or two other friends. But I think now I'm so focused on what I'm doing. I'm fine letting it out. So anyways, um, yeah, then I just all of a sudden the other thing that happened and Matt, I'm sure you and Jordan both saw this. But overnight, every touring drummer was now an online teacher. So this market that I had kind of had at least a decent foothold in now was flooded with the greatest drummers to ever live because they should be out on the road you know and you've got broadway drummers like carter mcclain being like i'm home man and you've got touring drummers like yourself and everybody else like i'm home i literally no i literally just got a notification that says sheila e teaches drumming and percussion on masterclass wow (laughs) that's and that that i was like oh god here we go yeah It's, it's finally happening so it was the greatest thing that could have ever happened i just Instead of trying to get new students, I said, look, I've got a ton of students. I've worked my whole career for this. Let me go inward and put everything I have into them. They're all stuck at home. We're going bananas with live streams because I have the tech to do it. I've been doing live streams for 12 years now. I've got five cinema cameras all on motorized sliders. I can do it all by myself. And we just went as hard as we could to make sure that everyone that was struggling with quarantine had something to look forward to. And so we invented new things. Instead of live lessons, it was family practice session where we all practice together with a timer and my my volume is muted, but you see me. And so it's and there's a timer and it's like, all right, non-creative for 10 minutes. And then I get back on the mic and I'm like, all right, guys, it's stage two creative time. You have 10 minutes to improvise. My volume goes down 10 minutes. And every time these people, thousands of drummers all around the world want to get up away from their kit, they look at their screen and see that I'm practicing so it holds them accountable. Then we launched family or uh, virtual shed sessions where we trade things back and forth with certain restrictions. So it'll be like, okay, tonight we are trading fours and you have to stay in groove position. Right hand never leaves the hat. Left hand never leaves the snare. 
and we're trading fours. And so we launched all these new things that never would have happened without quarantine because I was forced to be like, I need to Deftones the shit out of this. The Deftones always reinvent themselves every album. And then they give the rest of the rock industry three years to catch up. And by the time they catch up, they put out a new album and you're already late to the party. So I just thought, I have to do that for online drum lessons. By the time that the people that were kind of driving me nuts catch up, I'm already on to the next thing. I have to push this thing further. And, and, and the, where, the place you look for is anywhere other than the music industry. Don't take your ideas from your own industry because then people will know where you, then you are second. You got them from somewhere else. So, Matt, I'm sure you can relate to this because I know what you go through with fitness and with overall wellness. I went straight to the fitness industry. Who is tracking macros better than anyone? Like the fitness industry. So I just went straight to the fitness industry. I signed up for Romwad. I mean, every mobility app you could think of. And I just adopted all of that into Mike'sLessons.com. And then I didn't have to worry, like, did I take this one from this drum website or this one from a guitar website? It's like, yep. I, I took all the ideas from a thing that I couldn't directly steal it from because it wasn't my own industry. So I had to morph it into, well, what is the drum version of tracking weight and macros and all of that stuff so yeah so it was i know that's a really long-winded answer but quarantine really made me focus on refocus on my business that i was about to leave okay well and so that being said how do you feel now do you feel the same way you did are you like completely reinvigorated reinvigorated like it's like starting from scratch because the one thing that i realized and jordan this goes back to your point i am better at caring about students than anyone else in the world. And I know that sounds like the biggest dick thing in the world to say, but I've honestly watched it happen where I'm like, I I feel I don't feel I can out drum anybody or I can even out teach anybody, but I can out care about your development. I know I can. Like I just know that I go to sleep thinking about drummers and their development. Like so I just think I'd be better at this than I would be at teaching cameras or anything else or lenses and videos. So So let me prove your point. Uh, today I checked out some of your recent content just to prep. And what I noticed uh, in, in your delivery, in the video I watched, each time you mentioned your website, you deployed empathy. And what you did was that you got ahead of your audience. You already uh, understood what they may be thinking as soon as you go into like plug mode and you put them at ease. You let the, and, and look, when, when we just are empathetic and let people feel heard and understood, uh, one, they're going to be more willing to go deeper with you and ultimately give, the, uh, give you more of their time and money. I think that that's just smart and good business. Um, but the point isn't to get there. I think for you, the point was to uh, maintain trust, maintain a connection. Uh, so what I watched in your video, anytime you'd say MikeLessons.com, you'd be like, but wait a second, like this isn't me going into hustle mode right now. Uh, there's more value there, but you're still going to get what you came for uh, if you just stick with the video over the next five seconds or 15 seconds. So yeah, you you yeah maybe uh, drummers that that perform to 20,000 people a night now that they're stuck at home, they may get online and start teaching. That doesn't mean uh, that they can out empathy you. That doesn't mean that they can look you you've put in the work not only technologically. Uh, or by researching what the fitness industry has pivoted to successfully. Uh, but you also have the, the skills as a human being to, to connect and understand other human beings um, as an educator. Uh, you don't just get off tour 
and then assume that skill set. Yeah, well, that's one of the big fears that I, how do I go to the public, whether it be on Instagram stories or whatever, and say, hey, I'm not talking you out of this thing that just showed up, this shiny new object, but that person will tour again and they will leave you. So just be careful. So what I did was instead of trying to dog out what those people were doing, I celebrated it, but geared my students into a different way. So here's what I did was I said, let's pick a drummer that is normally touring. Let's say it's Gartska. So Matt's normally touring. Now he's offering Skype lessons. I told all of my students, whoever your favorite drummer in the world is, if they're home right now, pay for a one-hour Skype lesson. Leave your sticks at home. Talk to them. Ask them, hey, because if you think that you're going to take a lesson with, let's say, uh, Weckl, and I'm going to ask Weckl what he's doing now. Well, Weckl's 30 years beyond me. I want to know, hey, Dave, when you were 17, what were you listening to? Because my drumming is about where you were when you were 17. So what were you listening to then? And I just told all my students, dude, pay for that hour, but like, talk to them. You'll get so much more out of a one-hour conversation with your heroes than you will, like, hey, what do you think about my pinky sticking out? Like, who gives a crap? Like, yeah. that's not real. Ask Matt Halpern, like, hey, what about day 70 of a tour? Right. That's the real shit. Like, day, days one through seven, besides the <clears throat> blisters, it's pretty rad. Yeah. How's day 70, bro? Like, can you talk me through that? How do you deal with yeah. depression? How do you deal with homesickness? Well, like, and, that's and, the real stuff. And you're right, too, man. I mean, you know what's funny? I... I don't teach out of books. I don't have curriculum like you do. I don't have very, like, that's just not the way, not who I am. And what's funny, um, you know, when I do, when I would tour traditionally and teach on the road, which, you know, I've been doing forever, those classes are so often therapy sessions and based around, like, you know, how do I get past this in life? So I've done now just, you know, I have a lot of students that I've worked with for years have been like, Hey man, are you going to do anything? Are you going to do anything? And finally in a new house where I can do it, I've done a couple zoom classes. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely not, I don't love it as much as I do when I am on tour and I get to really interact with people, but it's going to be a while for that. So I'll do them every now and then. Um, I did a three hour, I did two, three hour and you know, three hours is a long time to be talking. Yeah. Yeah. I did two, three hour classes literally the whole time. It was about topics like that. It, none of it. And I don't want to, that's the thing. I don't want to try to teach you in one lesson how to play a paradiddle. You figure it out. And then what? Then I'm, then I'm not available anymore. And that's the thing. People hitting me up all the time like, hey, are you doing this again? And the honest answer is, yeah, at some point, just keep a lookout. I don't know. I'll add you to a waiting list. Because it's not, this isn't what I want to, it's, I'm not, I'm not yeah, doing that. You know? I, I think and, the thing is like, you know, Matt, one of the things that bonded us together was in the very beginning, I could tell. And, you know, so Jordan, real quick, how long have you known Matt for? Uh, I was a fan of his teenage band. And I'm uh, so. Okay. Yeah. Long so time. The late 90s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, one thing that I didn't know until we actually got on our first tour together was I didn't know how obs- I, I felt like I was the only one in our landscape obsessed with over delivering on a value scale. Like I really didn't read any business books growing up. I don't know what it's called. I, you know, if somebody said ROI, I was like, yeah, totally man. But I really didn't know that I didn't even know what it stood for at the time. But I knew that if you're going to pay me $10, I need to give you $50 worth of something. 
And when I met Matt, the way that he would talk about Band Happy was like that. It was just like, well, they think they're coming for this, but then I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I was like, oh, wait, you could just do the bare minimum work requirement, take their money and get out of there. And they would truly be happy. They got their Matt Halpern moment. But the fact that you're thinking about this before it ever happens, how can it be better than what they're expecting? That's everything. And I think that right now, with everything going to online, we have to do that and be like, well, what do you think is going to happen when you sign on? Let me make sure it's more than that, that I deliver more than that. And like, I mean, I know for me being, like I said, I have to have these two relationships with Matt and JP and Mark and all of my heroes. It's like, well, you're my hero and then you're my bro. So I have to separate it. But if I was going to study with you, Matt, it's, I mean, God, it's not the drumming. I mean, the drumming, it, it's, I kind of feel like that content is there in recorded form for me to dissect when I want to. And why can't, why can we only transcribe, uh, you know, Elvin Jones and Tony Williams? Why can't I transcribe modern metal drummers? I mean, obviously that does happen quite a bit, but it's not celebrated the way like, oh, I transcribed a Max, a Max Roach solo. It's like, dude, Try transcribing some of Rudy's stuff or Anoop's stuff, you know? And so, anyways, I can transcribe the drumming, but it's really the approach. That's what I want to know. Like, God, when you heard that riff, what what were you thinking? Like, how did that even happen? And what are you hearing? I remember talking um, to Sput once about Snarky Puppy stuff, and I just said, like, does Mike League write the drum parts? Do you write the drum parts? How does this work? And he's like, okay, listen to this track. And we're listening to Thing of Gold. And he's like, you hear that like third guitar part? That's my that's my hook. That's who I'm locking with. And I was like, that thing's like the least important part of the whole song. He's like, no, it's kind of like the most important part. Mm. It's just the least heard part. But that's what's holding this whole thing together. And like that one thing that Sput said to me is way more valuable than a two hour drum set lesson. Yeah, that changed everything about how I listen to music. So I think what you're doing, Matt, is the right way to do it right now. It's like give people the thing that's truly valuable in the moment, maybe they're like, oh, I was hoping I'd leave here with a free chop. And it's like, yeah, but your life's going to be a lot different for the next 10 years. So yeah. trust me. Well, but, you know? but that's what's interesting, too. It's like it's open for that. They can ask me those things. Sure. They, they totally. don't. They don't. So, may, you know, part of me wonders if they I know some of them have been students of yours who have probably taken that advice, whether it's been literal or not. I don't know. But I, I think they've they've definitely gone and said, I want to learn your approach. I don't want to learn how you play whatever you play um but the why behind it and the reason behind it and anyway that's something that that i think i or i hope that if people are gonna have to adapt right now to this scenario and 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 the way the world is for the foreseeable future i want people to, to to be able to succeed in this i just hope that they figure out that they don't have to, to your point, be like everybody else. They all have something unique to offer. And that is what you should be presenting. Not like, here's a, uh, you know, gospel chops class. It's like, well, just go fucking watch Eric Moore for like, you know, a little, go watch the videos. if, if If I wanted to learn how to play like you, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't, look at your drumming videos i would listen to the music yeah that's how you you know 
I don't want to learn John Bonham. Like you said, I don't want to learn John Bonham licks. I want to listen to Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And people always ask me, like, can you play Fool in the Rain? I'm like, I don't think so. I've never tried. It never even occurred to me. I heard Fool in the Rain and went and worked on halftime shuffles. Yeah. I don't give a fuck yeah. about Fool in the Rain. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I get it. It's super iconic. But I'm not one. I'm not in a cover band. So it really won't occur to me. But instead of ripping off John's art, why don't I zoom out and go, what allowed that groove to exist in the first place? Halftime shuffle, left foot independence, great ghost notes, and an in-between-the-cracks feel between swing and straight. I'll study those things, and then if I ever have to play a song similar to Fool in the Rain, I can have the Mike Johnston version of that. Like when people say, if I play anything triplet-based, people on Instagram will say, oh, I love the Purdy Shuffle. And I'm like, that wasn't even really... That's, <laughs> I wasn't playing a Purdy Shuffle at all. I was playing a triplet-based groove, but... You know, I mean, when I listen to Jason McGurr play uh, Grapevine Fires, I'm like, oh, but I never think, oh, he got that from Bonham or from Bernard Purdy. So I think that, to your point, being original and finding the you of everything, we just learned the Mozambique on Mike'sLessons.com. Week one was learning it. Week two is how to make it your own. And that's that's when it's like, okay, cool. Like, now I've got my own version of this thing and, and whatever that is. And that's all the way circling back to the IP of this, that's the stuff that I protect the most is like the way I explain time signatures, I crafted that the way that John Bonham crafted his drum parts for Led Zeppelin. I spent my whole life trying to make a better explanation. I think I've told you this before uh, at some point, but I, I want to reiterate, in every one of these classes, one of the questions that I do get is, how do, you know, what, what's your practice routine? And I literally, I give them two things. I say, J.P. Bouvet taught me to keep a practice journal. Go learn that from him. And Mike Johnston gave me a practice method that I use on a daily basis. Here's the link. <laughs> Go there. I don't want to waste time teaching it. I can tell you what it is. You know, like it's called the four-stage practice method. Right. Let him teach it to you because it's not mine. And I haven't put in the work to develop a practice method that I can coin as like the thing that works for me because the, you know what the thing that you put time into works for me and that's the only thing I can say it's like my experience is this but I didn't come up with this go learn it from Mike because he's way better at teaching his content than me so like there should yeah. be more of that as well I hope I there is more of that that's a really tough thing I'm really glad you brought that up because I got to say it took me a long time to be able to stare into a camera and give credit to somebody else because of the imposter syndrome. I don't want to admit that David Garibaldi ever existed when I talk about linear drumming because I'm too scared that you'll think I'm borrowing it from him. It took a long time to get that confidence as an educator to be like, all right, guys, we're going to work on this stuff. Now I have to give credit to Keith Carlock or whoever. You know, Just saying that out loud, it took me seeing some of my heroes in other avenues especially photography and videography, and them to say, all right, this thing that you've seen Steven Spielberg do a million times, here's how I adapted it to fit what I see. And it was like, okay, well, I don't think any less of this guy just because he mentioned Steven Spielberg. So why can't I mention Keith Carlock or Benny Greb or whoever? And it took a while to get to that point to just be like, uh, I didn't get this from them, but I I did. You know, I mean, even if you think about... Um, 
Okay, so Gary Chafee, I have a book called Linear Drumming. Gary Chafee has a bunch of books on linear drumming. I swear to God, I have never seen any of his books. Because as soon as people were like, oh, you stole it from Chafee, then I was like, okay, I'm never looking at his stuff. Now I'm rejecting it. But I, I now have to admit, yeah, but the people I was influenced from probably learned from Chafee. Right. So it's okay to admit that, like, hey, guys, if you need more reference on linear drumming, check out Gary Chafee's book. Check out some of the groove sections and David Garibaldi's future sounds. At no point does that diminish me as, a, as an educator. And it takes a long time to do that. And I think, like you said, Matt, we need more of that, admitting that, hey, I was lucky enough to stand on top of this thing to build my own thing. It may, like, it, it, yeah, and it makes, look, there's no shame in that whatsoever. Right? It's like, because if it works, ultimately, it doesn't, it, you, you should have no insecurity about saying like, I, you know, hey, somebody came up with something that, it, that blows my mind and that's what I use. So, hey, you can use this too. It's readily available, but I don't want to teach it as if, if as if it's my own. Go go learn it from that person because you can. Yeah. And dude, and, I think that ahead. that warrants respect because you you're having totally. the the humility and the honest. You're, you're being honest to say like, oh, dude, you want to learn something great. Like when people ask me about double bass, like how do I build up my speed? I literally will reference Alex Rudinger every time and be like. This was the thing that he taught me that worked for me. If you want me to share it with you, I will. But I need to be very clear, this is not mine, and you can also learn it from him. Okay, so here's the thing. is There is a feeling inside of us that once you say that, now this is when you're scared and when you have the imposter syndrome, but once you say that, that person you just said it to is going to be like, oh, cool, bye, and now they're over at Rudy's site. And, and they're obsessed with Rudy. It doesn't work that way. We think it does, but it doesn't. It's like, right. oh, cool, thanks for the tip, but you're my favorite drummer, Matt, so I'll be here for the rest of my life, Yeah. but I can't have one favorite drummer. Like, At no point did Vinny play something and I go, I'm never watching Dave Weckl again. It's like, dude, I don't know what it is, but when Weckl plays the drums, I'm like, that is dope. And, and same with Vinny and same with Dennis Chambers and now with all of our modern heroes. But no modern hero has caused me to stop loving my heroes from my teenage years. You know yeah, what I mean? So yeah. and, I think it's just, yeah. it's really, to Jordan's point, it's self-acceptance. Yeah. And what it I'd is. like to add to that is, look, you may give credit to someone else and that student may actually leave you and go to that person. But that shouldn't dictate how you respond because it, it's a matter of integrity personal integrity. And so we got to know who we are. We got to know what our boundaries are. We have to know what our intentions are. And look, for, for you, Mike, yeah, there might be others uh, ripping off your content and they probably are getting customers off it. Now, some of those customers or viewers uh, may see right through it and be like, man, they're just like stealing Mike's shit. Fuck them. You know, I'm going to go be loyal to Mike. Some people may actually stick with them because maybe they're, uh, undercutting your price, for instance. And that's what's most important to them, making the decision, it's finances. Sure. Uh, yeah. At a certain point, uh, you kind of have to just accept that as it is. I'm not, I'm not defending the, the behavior. And, no, no, but, no. But I, I also think, Jordan, like one of the things is, what if they go there and they click with that person more? It's like, then that's where you should be anyways. Right. Yeah. You should be studying with the person that clicks with you. And my personality won't jive with everybody. I'm... on. You know, online, it's all kind of loose and kind of funny. Well, if somebody's really like drum core serious, I'm probably not the right teacher for them. So, 
you know, I kind of I just want to make sure that people know that I exist. Like you mentioned earlier about the way I talk about my website. It's like I don't need you to sign up until you're ready. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be there. But I just want you to know it exists. Check it out. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, no big deal. But I think that, I mean, God, all of when I was growing up, the best drum teachers in Sacramento, we it didn't work for me. They were the best, but it was like that guy's a dick, man. Yeah. Like yep. he just told me I have to play heel down. That that makes no sense to me. Like, shouldn't I just play for whatever's best for me? And so then I went to the seventeenth rated drum instructor, and he was like a you know he was like a Yoda to me because he let me be myself and he encouraged me to explore. He may not have been the best drummer, but he was a way better teacher. So. I think for everything, people just have to make their own decisions. And, you know, and I think to wrap that whole thing up, I've kind of come to peace with like, all right, man, like if if you borrow my ideas, one, I have to admit the fact that maybe even my ideas were borrowed without me knowing it. I have no I've been watching drum videos since I was six years old on videotape. Who knows what I'm teaching from some old ass DCI Rod Morgenstein tape that I forgot I ever saw. 35 years ago so it's just one of those things where i think if the, the only thing i would ever get mad about is when like if i see somebody be like what's up you guys want to learn some tasty biscuits I'm like come on man right. yeah. you're stealing the tasty biscuits so I, that but other than that all things are pretty good wouldn't it be I, I, oh sorry go ahead i just i i want to defend your approach and philosophy mike because you're ultimately playing a long game uh you aren't Taking, you're, you're not grabbing whatever money is on the table in that moment. Uh, you're building a relationship with people long term. Uh, and I would argue that when you don't play the game that much of uh, the corporate world does, where you're kind of focused on every quarter and how much uh, money you can make in that quarter instead of thinking, are those customers going to be here 10 years from now or not? I mean, I think when you play the long game, like in there, that's there's, there's security and freedom not only financially, but I think spiritually as well. Well, and why not? If you find something you love, you don't you want it to be a long game? I want to do so, this forever. So where's right. the fucking rush? Like totally. And Matt, I remember you know you know Lou Montuli. Yeah. So Matt and I have a friend that's truly like a tech genius and a and a business icon in the world, and. I remember just asking him and he lives in Silicon Valley and that's where he came up. And it was just like, so explain to me startups. And he explained the whole thing. And I was like, that sounds horrible. So wait, I just build it until it's worth enough to sell it. I don't want to do that. Like I want to do this for the rest of my life. So one, I don't want any investment because I don't want to have to pay anybody back. And I don't want anybody to have any ownership over this thing. And two, I want to craft it for the long term, like on a business level. I could not care less what our growth rate is as a company. It doesn't even affect me at all. But my wife runs all the logistics for the company. I'm constantly asking her, hey, can you get me a churn report? I need to see how fast these students are coming in and going out because that's all I want to do is take them from six months to seven months, from seven months to a year, from a year to two years. If I can get that to happen, then these people will get better at the drums. If you get better at the drums, you're my walking business card. I don't have to worry about advertising. I've never paid for advertising once. In the history of Mike'sLessons.com, I just want people to be better at the drums. Now, if I make you worse at the drums, then you're going to walk around and people will be like, what happened to your drumming? Oh, I went to Mike'sLessons.com. Like, oh, okay, well, I won't go there. So 
the business plan is make people better at whatever you're offering and then it will grow. And that's how it's been organically for the last, you know, we've been here for 13 years now. And it's just about organic growth, long-term growth. Are you a better drummer this week than you were last week? If not, how can I make that happen better? And that's all I think about constantly on a business level is how can I make these people better drummers? I will freely admit earlymikeslessons.com was technically a train wreck, even though business-wise it was a success. And when we first started having drum camps and those people that had been doing all of what I told them to do came to camp and they couldn't play a single song to save their lives, I was like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, I'm doing the Hot Buns crossover 30-second note lick. And I'm like, it's a verse. Why are you? It's a John Mayer verse. What? And they're, and they're like, well, you never taught me that. I'm like, oh, shit. I forgot to teach you how to be a musician mm. because I was so concerned with trying to keep you on the website with dessert. I never gave you any vegetables. And so that's what's changed is like, I'm sorry. I know this isn't YouTube but you're paying money. And once you pay money, it's kind of real. We're going to have to do the real stuff. You yeah. actually are going to get better at this instrument. You know? Yep. Fuck you guys yeah. got me sweating. I'm all fired up now. Good. Yeah. That's what's up. Well, it, for the sake of time, we do, have to, we do have to wrap up in a sec. But I want to say something, which is I'm so glad uh, that that contractor came, didn't come in and do what they did because this world needs you. And... I, I can't even tell you how many people that I know who have taken something away from you that has helped them grow. I, I encounter it with my students all the time. As I've told you many times, I reference and, and will advocate for your teaching all the time. Same with JP and same for all of the great drummers that are out there. There's a lot of drummers who I think are dickheads and who I think steal from everybody and you know those people and I would never touch what they do. Um, and you know what's so funny, uh, not to go on a tangent with this, but if they literally did what we just talked about, it would be such a different world. If they were like, oh, here's this, um, here's how you play ghost notes. Yeah, by the way, I, I, I got this from, from Matt. I watched him do this and, and I'm, you know, I, I didn't ever hear of a better way to teach it. So here it is. If they did that, if that person, everything. it'd be like, oh, fuck, thank you so much. Let me come up there and do stuff with you. But I'm not going to do it because you can't, I, you, yeah. and you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I think the other thing is I did have a conversation with somebody that I was not okay with. And someone, a, an intermediary said, can you please talk to that person on the phone? I'm like, fine, whatever. So I talked to him. And as we're talking about this stuff, at some point, this sentence comes out where he's like, that sounds like so much work. And I was like, holy fuck. I'm like, dog, yes. Why do you think I don't put out a video every day? Because I, I sit on my drum set waiting around for something cool to happen. I'm waiting for that spark to be like, oh, shit, I have to share this with the whole world. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, my God. Now, how am I going to explain it? And it's like, yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's it's good work. You feel good when it's over. And there have been times, I will freely admit where I really thought, oh, Johnston, you knocked it out of the park. And then just randomly YouTube was like, do you want to see the exact same video that you just uploaded by this guy from seven years ago? And I was like, shit. And I would call that person and be like, hey, man, it happened with Eddie Thrower like a couple days ago. We, I can't remember what he uploaded, but oh, it was something about, oh, he was using a Tabata timer for his singles. And I sent him a video. I was like, oh, man, I did that uh, last month with doubles. And he and he deleted his post. I'm like, no, 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 don't delete it. Your delivery was so original. 
it had nothing to do with mine. Of course, we're eventually going to stumble upon the same ideas sure. using fitness for drumming. But I watched his video and thought, that is badass. He is 100% himself. He's who he is. This is great. you know. So I think it just comes down to like transparency. And the drum industry generally is made up of really good guys and girls that are just good people. You know, I mean, the ego thing, you're not going to really find it in in our industry. You go up to Annika Nillis and just think like, oh, God, she's like literally one of the greatest drummers on the planet right now. She's going to be rude. Opposite. She couldn't be kinder. She'll spend all the time talking to you that you want. Benny Greb, I mean, Jordan, sounds like you know from personal experience, you would think like, ah, oh, but he's going to be kind of too cool for school. The complete opposite. You know, and yeah. and these are like our drum gods and they're still down to earth. So we're really lucky to have this industry. And yeah, Matt, to your point, I want to stay in it for a very long time. Good. Well, that's what I like to hear. And, you know, I'm glad that you're I'm glad that you're being honest about that, because that in and of itself is a great humbling um, reality for people to, to, to hear about, because I've encountered self-doubt. And sometimes it's my own um, stubbornness that pushes me past it. Sometimes it's just something happens and it keeps me where I am. And then I am forced to go past it. And I'm so glad I did. And for whatever the reasons, I mean, you obviously ended up uh, making the right decision. And and I hope that it is something that that you uh, don't ever struggle with again. And in fact, like, I'm just glad to hear that you are recharged with it. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. I think that that's what was kind of was falling apart for me was just the idea of teaching something new, like how to make better videos or whatever that just held so much untapped potential. Right. And then when I would compare that to like explaining time signatures again, I was like, it, it was just a different excitement level. But so what I had to do was flip the whole thing on its head and be like, explain time signatures in a way you've never explained it. Now it's just as exciting as explaining how f-stops work on a camera lens so yeah yeah. now i'm all juiced up as soon as we get done with this i'm gonna kick some things over drink a ton of beer because you know how i get down (laughs) i literally picture you pouring like oi ocha fucking matcha tea bottles all over yourself yeah just (laughs) ah! yeah yeah Yeah. and then i'll just be fired up and making some videos and uh well guys thank you for just having me on this is awesome Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, man. I, it's something that I've wanted to do for a while. And we took a break with the podcast for a long time. And we, we literally brought it back just because we wanted to communicate. There was a need to communicate with the separation that we've all had from each other. And something that's been very cool, I don't know if you know this, but the reason why we brought it back or, or the reasons why we've continued to do it now have been very much... Um, in a good way, self-serving. It's been really enjoyable just to communicate and talk to people and catch up and, you know, share whatever value we can share. But it's, it's, it's so much more authentic now, I think, you know, than it, than it was at different points, at least when we stopped doing it. I know it's, it's a much, much more, uh, I don't know, cathartic kind of thing that we're doing now. Totally. This is an hour to, to reset your soul. And I think for your listeners, it just gives them a chance to be, I hope that your listeners have you know five or ten moments throughout this hour where they go, oh thank God I'm not the only one that feels that way. That's you know the goal. I mean? Yeah, we're all in this together. Type you know I, I hate sounding cheesy, but we really are going through all the same things together. Inspiration, then that tidal wave goes out, and you have no inspiration. We all go through that. Considering quitting something I've been doing since I was five years old, 
I mean, I, I think people would be shocked at how many people just like you, Matt, every once in a while, are like, you know, I don't have to do this. Yeah. I could just stop. And it's like, whoa, okay. Yeah, I've I gone through that, that too. My, yeah. I didn't know my heroes went through that stuff. So we all go through it, but we all get through it. And things like this podcast help people. You know, somebody's on a long drive right now going like, I'm going to go play some drums. And it's like, cool, mission accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mike. I'm, I'm really glad to have caught up. And we'll find time to, to talk again. It's like everybody everybody has so much time, but everybody is so fucking busy right now. And so I've life never is, been this busy in my yeah, life. It's it, crazy. It, but that's, a, that's, that's the beauty of this. And hopefully everybody listening can, can figure that out as well for themselves. Um, so, yeah, that's what's up. So, Jordan, uh, take us the fuck out. So I, I want to share one last story that I think um, pulls out a lot of different threads that we, we touched on throughout the past hour. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this right now who have some sort of skill or offering. It may be drums. It may be photography. It may be something completely different. Uh, but often you may not teach because you think you're not good enough. And uh, I think learning how to teach, learning how to educate is, is one of the, the greatest gifts that we can give to ourselves, uh, let alone other people that we serve. Um, Matt, you mentioned uh, you'll recommend other, other drum teachers. Uh, you have recommended me as a drum teacher a few times. And that put me in a situation where I kind of felt, like, holy shit, like his students, like what can they learn from me as a drummer? You know, for, for me to put myself up against you guys uh, for what you do, I can't. And quite frankly, uh, a lot of what you do, I have never been interested enough to put in the time and work to, to achieve that for myself. Uh, my motivations and interests have been different. So when I, when I taught some of Matt's students, I, I really had to get clear on what makes me different. Why would Matt suggest me as a drum educator? Uh, and a lot of what I did with these students we maybe spent 15% of the lesson on the drum kit and we spent a lot of it just talking. You know, I know for me, uh, I have a skill set in when I'm on stage, I mean, my job is to fight for a connection with the audience. I'm working to make eye contact with as many people as I can from the stage. Uh, for instance, these are the things I'm, that I'm teaching. I'm teaching, here's what you do when you load in. Uh, you know, go shake the sound person's hand. I don't know if people at a guitar center who teaches drums are going to share that. Uh, I spent one full lesson uh, helping the student film himself and educating uh, through that platform. And then we watched it back and, and, and we went from there. Uh, so part of me sharing this is to help people understand that what you think a drummer can be or what you think more specifically a drum educator could be uh, is probably much more limited than than the reality is. There's so much possibility, and the possibility uh, really is dictated on who we are as human beings. Um, so that that felt important to share. It felt comprehensive to share based on this conversation. Uh, Mike, I want to thank you so much for giving us your time and your attention. Um, I, when I first found you, probably 10 years ago, uh, I vibed with you because you felt like the real fucking thing. You just felt honest and pure even then. Uh, you're not someone that I go check out regularly, but when Matt told me, hey, we're gonna chat with Mike, I got really excited because I had a gut feeling, Mike is a solid ass dude. Uh, so you lived up to the hype, my friend. I appreciate Yay. you for doing that. 
Um, I also highly, highly encourage you. Look, it was vulnerable for you to share through this platform that you almost completely pivoted your business a couple months ago. Uh, I, I highly encourage you to go deep and share all of that with your students. And I think the payoff for them and you and your business uh, will be really incredible. Wow. That's uh, something I haven't thought of at all, in all honesty. And uh, I appreciate that. I think, I think you're right. I think it'd be good for them to know. I, I, I think it's the most honest thing you can do. I think it will help them feel uh, this sense of, oh man, like we almost didn't have him, you know. And mm-hmm. and it also and it, and it oh, but it also demonstrates like I appreciate that. Yeah, man. But it, it demonstrates vulnerability. It demonstrates honesty. And I think it's these qualities as human beings that uh, creates the most value. And value goes far beyond finances. Totally. And, and I just want to be clear, I only laughed because it's just hard for me to even think that anyone would think that, you know, I've, I think Matt, myself and, and other people that we're just happy that it's like, wow, I can't even believe you want to listen to me talk about drums. I mean, it still blows my mind when I look at subscription numbers on YouTube and stuff. And I'm like, that's not for drum covers. I don't do drum covers. That's for me, like boring you with education that's really cool, you know? And so I think all of us have to be appreciative of what we, what we have. Last thing I'll say before we get out of here is please do not let these social media numbers mess with your head. I mean, that's why they're called vanity metrics in the first place. I just talked to a singer who I am just obsessed with. I mean, he's like, right now, he's my one of my favorite singers. And he's got a thousand followers on Instagram. And I had to tell him, dog, that is a sold out club every night of the week. You have a thousand people that want to hear you sing. Please stop looking at those 100,000 followers. You don't even know where that came from. You don't know who paid for it, who didn't pay for it. You have 1,000 people that you earned organically. That's a sold-out club every night. That is badass. Put everything you have into those 1,000, and it will turn into something great. Just, Just don't chase anything. Just do you all the time. And I think we all, even if you have 30 followers, 40 followers, it's like 40 followers? Go to a bar and look around for 40 people. There probably aren't 40 people there. So you've got a packed bar that is interested in what you have to say. Be proud of that. That's freaking awesome. We all just need to keep our heads up. And like I said, my biggest advice to everybody out there is just curate your own museum. Instagram is your museum. Curate it to be inspirational for yourself instead of defeating it. Don't wake up to defeat. Wake up to inspiration. It'll change everything you do from there on out. I think we found the title. What's that? Curate your own museum. Boom! <laughs> as long as you're okay if we use that. Can we use that absolutely, as the title of this episode? Absolutely, man. There absolutely. it is. I, I mean, this is just, I, I want to say thanks again to both you guys because this has been awesome. <laughs> this is the most socialization I've had in the last, like, two weeks. Like, this it is good bro good. time. It yeah. does feel good. Well, yeah, man, it's healthy. Thank you, man. It's, I love talking to you. It's, it's always just a nice reminder of camaraderie and friendship, and it's, uh, it's just always a treat. So thank you, man. Glad you came you on. got it. I appreciate it. So the last things I'll say, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Join us there. It's a private Facebook group. It is is compassionate. It is supportive. uh, And it's full of creative people around the world interested in self-improvement. We are there. You are welcome to join us there. Uh, If you're listening to this on your podcast app, you can actually look at our faces now, youtube.com slash chocolate croissants, if you'd like to see uh, three men and a cowbell all chatting uh, from their respective homes in the United States of America. Uh, Matt, the last thing I'll say as a friend who loves you dearly, uh, I've been loving your Instagram content with the drumming. Stop apologizing to your fan base for sharing it. They love it, 
uh, and I'm very proud of you for doing it. Uh, we don't need uh, your apologies. I'm going to say that definitively. There you go. You got it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Done. Okay, so in that spirit, uh, we're all going to be kind to ourselves. We ask that you be kind to yourself as well. And until next time, oh, bye-bye. <laughs>